So we left off on this work by Imam Junaid, Ibn Qasim Junaid al-Sadiq, and this is a compilation, as we mentioned before, of different wise sayings of Imam Junaid. So uh, each one is kind of, they're related, but they kind of also stand on their own. So we left off on this one. Where he says, Rahimahullah ta'ala. Qala Abu Qasim. It went away. We were worried that the mic might die. It looks like it. Yeah. They're the ones from the camp. <laughs> he said, "Well, wait till they die." <laughs> and then it died right when we started. I don't know. All right, it's good timing actually. So he said, "Qala Abu Qasim, rahimahullah taala, ra'ait Allah taala taqaddasat asma'uhu zayna basita ardhihi wa fasiha sa'ati mulkihi bi awliyaihi wa ul al-ilmi bi wa jaalahum abhaja lami'in sata'alurahum." وهم أحسن زينة من السماء البهجة في ضياء نجومها ونور شمسها وقمرها. It's too long actually. Maybe I shouldn't read the whole thing. Sometimes when they're longer, it's too long. Okay. So this one he says first. You have seen how Allah سبحانه وتعالى glorified and exalted is He and sanctified be His names. You have seen how He. Decorated his earth and the expanse of his dominion by the awliya, by his awliya, and by the people of knowledge, the people of knowledge of him. Okay, so you have seen how Allah has decorated the earth and everything in creation by his awliya and the people who have knowledge of him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, and then he continues and he says, and he made them the most shining of lights um, that reflect his light, subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are more beautiful than the sky um, when it is enlightened by... Um, the sky is illuminated by its, its, its stars and by the light of the sun and by the moon. And basically their light is even greater than that. Okay, so this is the first point. This is the first point. So he says that uh, Allah the most he has decorated his creation by the awliya, by the awliya. So we've talked about this before, but um, you know, we don't want to overdo it. The idea here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has awliya. And his awliya are those people who are close to him. If we want to know the definition of who are those people, we look to the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, hadith Qudsi, where he says that Allah said, uh, that Allah said 
Whoever declare, whoever has enmity with a wali of mine, awliya is the plural of wali. Allah said that whoever has enmity with a wali of mine, then I have declared war against them. The hadith continues and Allah says that uh, the servant does not draw, draw closer to me by anything more beloved to me than that which I have obligated upon him or her. And then he continues or she continues to do the optional deeds until they become beloved to Allah. And when that happens, then Allah becomes the eye by which they see, and the ear by which they hear, and the hand by which they strike, and the foot by which they walk. And that if they ask of Allah, He will answer their prayer. And if they seek protection in Allah, He will protect them. Um, and then there's different narrations, but that's, that's the core of it. Okay? So the core of it is that there are these people. If you want to know who they are, they're the people who do what's mentioned in the hadith. They do that which is required. And I make that the priority. Uh, is it possible that someone might do what is required and they don't have anything left to do anything that's optional and they're still from this category of people? I would say yes. Okay, so it might be that someone, you know, imagine someone, uh, it's not hard to imagine actually with the world that we live in. It's very possible that maybe like a man has a family and he needs to take care of the finances of that family. And in order to do so, he works like six, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and makes the money that he needs to in order to pay the bills. It's very common. You know? Some of us have surplus, some of them, some people don't, but uh, it's not uncommon. You know? And they might not have energy after that. You know, what are they gonna do after that? You can pray their fard, you pay, some, pray, pay the zakat. After that, there's not a whole lot left. You know? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of charity here and there, but the person has basically done what they can. They take care of their family. Maybe they have parents that are aging. They take care of their parents. They take care of all these responsibilities that are the first priorities. Which are not always, by the way, the things that we see, we associate with religiosity. But uh, a lot of what we associate with religiosity is actually the extra stuff. <laughs> and so, but, but what Imam al Raghib al Asfahani said, he said, Man shaghalahu al fardu an al nafli. That the one who they're busy with the obligations so they miss the extra things, they're forgiven. They're excused. They did what they were supposed to do. But the one who is busy with the optional things and so they miss the things that they have to do, that person is deceived. That person has been deceived. They actually got things wrong. So first and foremost always is the obligation. The obligation is always, it's, it's not always glamorous. You know, again, we associate certain things with whatever, you know, but the obligation is not always glamorous. And of course, in this regard, we're always reminded of the story of Uwais and Qarani, uh, who was, by the statement of the Prophet, وسلم, the best of the Tabi'in. Right? Uwais is the best of the Tabi'in. Who was he? Uwais was the one who he lived in Yemen, and he was a Muslim in the time of the Prophet. And he didn't go see the Prophet in person because his mother needed him. Okay, so his mother needed him to take care of her. And she was elderly and whatever, and he had to stay with her and he went with her and everything else. And when the Prophet told Sayyidina Umar, he said, There's a man, he's Uwais, he's from Qaran, he's from these people. And if you meet him, ask him to ask Allah to forgive you because his dua is answered. And he's the best of the tabi'in. And so Omar would look for him every time Hajj would come 
he would look for him. He would go out to the groups that come from Hajj. He'd be like, where are the people from Yemen? Okay, you are the people from Yemen. Which are you guys? Is there anyone named Uwais amongst you? Is there? And he would look for him every time. And they would say, no, no one's here. He's like, are you sure? Finally, he found him one time. He said, are you sure no one's with you? Like, no, there's just this kid. He like, you know, not this kid, but there's this guy. He takes care of our camels and our animals and stuff. But, you know, you can go talk to him. He's the only one that we didn't, we don't know. And he goes and he talks to him and he asks him for like to see certain symbols on him and stuff. He figures out he's Uwais. So he tells him, you know, ask Allah to forgive me. And they have a conversation and then Uwais disappears after that. So, who, but who, essentially, who was Uwais in the end? It was a person who, he gave up seeing the Prophet them. Imagine, like, all the things you could do. He, 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 he's not a Sahabi. Like, you see the Prophet them, you become a Sahabi. He's a Tabi'i. He's not a Sahabi. Because his mother needed his support, so he stayed with his mother. Of course, these things can be used for all kinds of abuse. That's not the point, right? Point is that Uwais was Mustajab Dawa, his dua was answered. And um, you know, he's like one of these people. He did the oblig- he did the obligation and he left the extra things, focused on the obligation. So this this the, the wali is the person who does these obligations and they do whatever they can on top of that until everything that they do becomes inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah takes care of them. You know? And so what he's saying and Junaid is saying is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually the greatest decoration that he's put on his earth the greatest decoration that he's put on his earth is the awliya that's what he's saying it's a very uh, very interesting statement actually very beautiful statement I think if we if we reflect upon it it's because it puts everything in place you know the awliya they're the ones who put everything in its right place it's people who have strayed from the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that messed everything up. Right? That's what causes corruption in the earth. That's what causes this discord. That's what puts things where they don't belong. But when there's people who are so connected to Allah that they do everything that pleases Allah, then that puts everything in the right place. So these awliya, they're the greatest of decorations. And they're the brightest of lights. And they're more, they illuminate the, the, the sky more than the stars do. Right? This, of course, also reminds us that there is a physical reality and there is a spiritual reality. That, you know, <laughs> this is not to make fun of basketball. I, my team plays at nine. I'm not going to make the game. But, um, like, everything has a crowd, you know? Like, in the physical realm, there's a crowd. In the spiritual realm, there's a crowd. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe people, maybe, the, maybe there's angels watching the basketball. I don't know. Seems that some outer rules are being broken. But, uh, Allahu alam what the situation is over there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point is that when you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, the angels come. So angels attend. When the, the people of Allah, the angels are with them. So that's, that's an audience too. Right? That's an audience too. And that's a, that's a, those are, there's lights to that, but we don't see it in the physical realm. It's a hadith of the Prophet, right? That they're like, the, the angels go around in the, in the earth and they look for the lights. That are from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, the, so the places where Allah is, is, are remembered, they're like lighthouses for the angels. And the angels come and they, they know where to go. In any case, it continues. It says, because they are the ones who are. Uh, 
ومسالك ترق القاصدين إلى طاعته ومنار نور على مدارج الساعين إلى موافقته So he says that they are these 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 righteous people which inshallah you know I'm, I have I'm sure that they're amongst us people who fit this category um, that they are the ones who are the signs by which people are guided to the way of Allah and the and, and to his obedience and to doing and, and acting in a way that's in accord with what Allah wants from human beings so that's the greatest thing right it's people who show show this show this way um, so they are more impactful even than the Khalifa you know there's the Khalifa of the Muslims that whoever's the ruler over the people they have a major impact right you know whoever's in charge it has a huge consequence actually what happens to the people whoever's in charge might say you know we want to make sure the streets are taken care of someone else is in charge they say I want to just take that money for myself someone else is in charge they, you know we see it we don't have to look very far um, in, in our not just in, in the Muslim lens but here too sometimes you see it sometimes you have a, a leader who really takes care of the people it has major consequence so what he says is that these these people who are close to Allah they are more beneficial for the people even than the Khalifa is and they're more effective in preventing harm from the people than the Khalifa is too so the Khalifa has two two major roles like right? one of them the ruler one of the things the ruler does is they facilitate good for the people they help their life and everything else the other thing that the ruler is going to do is they're going to prevent harm Right, they have to have an army, they have defense mechanisms, everything else that they have So they prevent harm from the people So what he's saying is that the people of Allah These close friends of Allah They are more beneficial for the people than the ruler In bringing good to them And they are more effective than the ruler in preventing harm also Which is a really interesting uh, thing actually SubhanAllah So they are better than the stars uh, that light up the darkness and um, and give guidance because uh, because the stars give guidance to worldly things and these people give guidance to the hereafter right? stars give guidance to the worldly things these people give guidance to the hereafter and uh, the benefit and, and the stars give benefit to the bodies and the people of Allah give benefit to the souls and so uh, this is this is the, and then the safety of a person's life is handled by the stars but the safety of the person's hereafter is handled by the people who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course this comes with all of its qualifications right we've gone over that 700 times uh, so th this is the comparison he makes okay next one qala man qasim la taskun ila nafsika wa in dam ta'atuha lak fi ta'ati rabbik so this is an interesting one. It says, ila nafsik. What does taskun ila nafsik mean? It doesn't mean live, right? I mean, this is from Sakina, right? So when you have someone that you're really close to, someone that you're really comfortable with, someone that you can really trust, when you are with them, you feel at ease, right? You come with this person, you feel at ease. And, uh, you know, maybe we all find people like that in our lives, because otherwise it's really tough. If everyone you're interacting with, you have to be kind of uptight, you have to be kind of nervous, but you really want to find people who, when you're with them, they hold space in a way that makes it so that you can feel comfortable and at ease. So he says, Imam uh, Qasim says, don't do that with your nafs. Don't do that with your nafs. 
Okay? So your nafs is your base desires, your ego, right? That which is inside of us that needs to be rectified, that if it's not cultivated will call us to evil, right? So the nafs is like, you know, that feeling when you get into an argument with someone and they haven't really crossed any boundaries yet, but you start to feel yourself puff up inside, that's your nafs, right? Or like the nafs is that thing when you know that you shouldn't do something, but you just kind of really want to do it, and you feel it like inside of you pulling you in that direction, that's your nafs, right? So what is he saying? He's saying, don't have this comfort with your nafs. Don't do that. Even if, even if it is obeying you, and helping you in obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if your nafs is doing that, don't, 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 like, uh, don't get complacent with it. <laughs> right? So it's like, basically, you know, it's like, you know, if you know you can't trust someone, you already know you can't trust them, right? But then you interact with them, and you interact with them, and you interact with them, and everything's going fine. So after a while, you forget that you can't trust them. And then what happens afterwards? Is they break your trust again, right? So this is your nafs. <laughs> this is our nafs. It might get in line every now and then. And you're like, alhamdulillah, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Things are going relatively well. I'm avoiding the bad things that I'm supposed to avoid. I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do. Things are going okay. So I'm just going to like, you know, put it on autopilot. He's saying, don't put it on autopilot. Even if you get to that point where things are going your way. Why? Because you can never assume that you're going to be safe from these things. We can never assume that. And this is, uh, what's scary about this is the one before it talks about the awliya, right? Like it is possible for someone to be very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but for them to stop paying attention to this issue. So this is why he's telling you, like, be very careful because things could be going really well and then all of a sudden you think, you know what? You, you, you like take the edge off a little bit let something slide, let this slide, let that slide. I don't have to be as strict about this as I used to be. I don't have to be as strict about this as I used to be. I can open this door, I can open that door. Then next thing you know, subhanAllah, the person falls into error. So it's very possible people can do tremendous good and then they make mistakes. Some of those mistakes are, you know, very hard to recover from. Some of them are impossible to recover from. But the point is that we, sh we for ourselves, we have to be careful about becoming complacent. And this is why uh, Ibn Atta'ala he says that, that the worst thing for a person's spirituality essentially is paraphrasing is a ridha'an and nafs that they become pleased with themselves. Like I'm good. I'm alright. You know, I'm just, I'm fine. I'm very humble. MashaAllah. I'm really humble. I have the knowledge that I need. I'm doing the worship I need. I'm, I'm not doing anything I shouldn't be doing. And I'm all right. I'm, you know, I can, I can just kind of put the cruise control on now, and it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay, because the nafs is always going to be there, and shaitan is not going to give up. Shaitan might give up on certain things, and then we feel like, alhamdulillah, we're okay now, because shaitan and the nafs they work together. They're like a really bad tag team. As soon as the nafs finds some opening, it will take it, and as soon as shaitan finds some opening, he'll take it, and if he finds the nafs doing things, he'll aggravate the nafs. And make it even worse, you know. So, you know, we think like, oh, okay, it's going to be all right. Let's be careful, because then. And this is why the Sharia is so important, right? The Sharia is one of the reasons why the Sharia is so important. Someone might say, like, just like, mashallah, they're doing so good. They don't need prayer to be obligatory for them to pray five times a day, right? 
Like they would pray five times a day either way. If it was if it was recommended, they would pray the five daily prayers instead of obligatory. But it has to be obligatory because it's a rule it has to be followed. Right? Same thing with like a lot of stuff in terms of prohibitions, especially some of the stuff I think around uh, like cross gender interactions. You know, like a lot of these rules they're there for a reason. Sometimes we start to think like, no, I can handle this. I'm okay. I'm very mature. You know, mashallah, I know how to control myself. And uh, most likely you don't. You know, there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the rules there. The rules are there to protect us. And uh, w- when we follow them, then in that, there's a protection for ourselves. But sometimes we get complacent. We think, okay, I don't need it actually. I don't really need the rule. I can kind of, you know, let this one go a little bit. But it's there for a reason. Next one he says, Junaid, some of these people you read their works and you're like it's very clear that they had tawfiq you know like how do you say so many things that are so simple like very short and very profound so he said he was asked like sometimes you read these things and I think to myself like if someone asked you that question what would you say? You know? He was asked what is the path to Allah? So someone came to you they asked you you know I get it you know this Islam thing I get it and I think it's true and I want to come closer to Allah what's the path to Allah? You might have different answers right? They probably they would probably be right at some level there's, there's multiple right answers but what did he say? He said, first thing is Tawbatun Tahillu Tahillu Al-Israr I'm not sure actually But basically a Tawbah That Loosens the tie On a person's uh, Persistence in disobedience Okay So basically there's a sin A person is consistent in doing this sin They keep doing it, they keep doing it, they keep doing it They keep doing it, whatever it is, right? So the first thing you do in the path to Allah is There's this sin that the person keeps doing You make a repentance that unlocks that It, it, it unties that it's, it's undone now Okay. So the tawbah is so sincere The repentance is so sincere That they don't go back to that thing okay? So that's number one Number two he says وَخَوْفٌ يُزِيلٌ الْغِرَّةٌ Says that and a fear Ghirra is like a um, like a heedlessness. It's like when uh, to, to to it's basically saying a fear that brings the person out of their drowsiness. They're basically like sleepwalking in their life. You know? Subhanallah, it's really amazing. Like when you really think about it, how much sleepwalking people do. <laughs> All of us we do, you know. Subhanallah. How many things like people don't really think about, you know, like. And you question them on it and they get upset. Like, well, I mean, we don't just have to take everything, you know? Like, for example, to open Pandora's box. And no, it's not Andrew Tate. It's Halloween. Halloween, right? So I was like, you know, why do you have to make an issue out of Halloween? I'll tell you why I make an issue out of Halloween. Fatwa, not halal, haram is not the point. You know my issue with Halloween? Everything's about shaitan. I mean, does everything have to be like, what's the fatwa, halal, haram, whatever you want? Like, okay, it's all black, black cats and black bats. 
and black mashaif it's all shaitan related and then the whole thing is like scare people when the prophet said that it's prohibited for a muslim to put fear into the heart of another muslim so the whole premise of like a holiday that's built around scaring people is is doesn't work for us anyways and then you you go further and it's like well what are we doing really well we're walking around and getting candy <laughs> go to the store and get some candy you go on tuesday it's gonna be better than if you go tomorrow you go on, that's what i did last year so i would go tuesday go to the store on tuesday you get everything on sale and you're good you know it's fine <laughs> you're done you got your candy alhamdulillah like it's not just like i think at some level like we have to embrace the idea that people will do things and we don't have to do what they do period like people will do all kinds of things i don't have to do what they do you know people and this is not to say anything about any anyone i'm not judging anyone right now i'm not people make their own decisions and stuff but like now it's very common for men to wear really tight pants i don't like tight pants too bad like i'm just not gonna do it it's, it's very common for women to wear whatever they're gonna wear i'm not a woman so i don't have to make those decisions but whatever else it might be the point is we don't have to do what other people do just because everyone's like you know we're gonna do this okay i mean there is one nice thing about halloween i think i used to enjoy when i was a kid is the actual just walking around the neighborhood with your parents and knocking on the neighbor's doors and stuff i thought that was nice the problem is that it's it's that's not sufficient in the face of everything else <laughs> and of course like as we got older we did all kinds of bad things halloween's a very shaitani day in case like some of the muslims don't realize because you live good lives mashallah like <laughs> some of us didn't always live good lives halloween is one of the worst days of the year there's three nights in the year that i hate and halloween is one of them the other one is uh the, the new year's new year's eve and fourth of july these are the three nights that i hate in the year not because of anything that has to do with the holiday because what people that i knew used to do on those days is just go to parties and get drunk and get in fights and like people would get hurt and it was just all bad it's just all bad like that's every single of these holidays that's what happened every single time you come to school the next day and it's like oh did you know what happened with so and so and so it's like all fights and like police and like whatever you know all issues you know, you go to school, you're like, what happened? You know, what happened? I was like, oh, like, we beat up these kids and we took their candy. It was all, <laughs> it, was, it was all bad, you know? SubhanAllah. I don't know why I'm talking about this. That wakes you up from heedlessness. Wakes you up from heedlessness. A fear that wakes you up from heedlessness. To say, like, no, actually, I am going to die. And I am going to face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is true. And that fear has to be sufficient enough to shake the person a little bit. No, just a little bit enough to be like maybe what i'm doing is not right maybe i need to change this maybe this isn't the right choice that i'm making so on and so forth then he says number three subhanallah he doesn't just leave you like that right number three he says so he says muzaj is a funny word because in like modern arabic you use muzaj for something that annoys you right like something that annoys you is it's muzaj but really what it is, it's kind of like it agitates you. If you were to use a better, probably a better English word would be agitate. Because agitate can be used for good or bad, right? So what he's saying is that you have a, this, the person has a hope, a hope in Allah that agitates them towards doing good. Right? So they, they hope for, that their hope, so now the, the previous one, the fear is enough to shake the person from their sleepiness. 
In this one, the hope is enough to push the person, push the person to do good. You know, so they don't say like, "Oh, who am I? What have I done? How many mistakes have I made? How can I be this? How can I do these good things?" No, their hope in Allah is so much that it it shakes, it, it agitates them to do this good, regardless of whatever else they might have going on in their life, right? So that's this is the third one. The fourth one, he says, Subhanallah. And the fourth one is to have like a um, like a vigilance with Allah as relates to the thoughts that enter their heart. It relates to the thoughts that enter their heart. Okay. This is a really important issue and it's kind of hard to talk about in, in, in detail but hopefully it will make some sort of sense. And that is that first and foremost we don't believe that there's only like you know when people are like oh I have to listen to my heart. Well I have an inner voice that's telling me this. <laughs> yeah. So the question for us would be which one is it? Which inner voice is it? Because the ulama when they talked about the inner voices they didn't say that we have one. They say that there's the khatir, there's the khatir nafsani and there's the khatir rahmani and there's the khatir shaitani you know and there's the khatir uh, malaki like it's from the angels so there's different khawatir that happen in the heart they have different sources so sometimes the source of the of the internal voice is from the is from the nafs sometimes the inner voice is from shaitan sometimes the inner voice is from uh, the angels and sometimes the inner voice is from Allah. You know? The problem is, if a person is not accustomed to being vigilant with themselves and listening to the voice that's going on inside and paying attention to the circumstances and stuff, they won't understand the voices properly. This is a big challenge, right? So some people are like, well, I just knew that this was the right thing to do. Well, how did you know that exactly? Even the same thing happens with dreams. They were like, well, I saw so-and-so in a dream. So-and-so is not the Prophet wasallam. If they're not the Prophet wasallam, the, the hadith says the Prophet wasallam said whoever saw me in a dream, they saw me because shaitan can't take my form. Okay, other things are possible. Yeah. I've come to believe that there are certain dreams that I saw probably at different points in my life that were actually, maybe I thought they were true, but actually I don't think they were. This is like, you know, maybe subhanAllah that wasn't it, you know. So this is, again, the sharia becomes so important. And, uh, but the inner voice could be different types it could be different types of inner voices so he's saying that one has a vigilance and watching the voices that are in their heart because sometimes the thought comes and this is also one of the mistakes people make it's a subtlety they say we're not held accountable for our thoughts we're only held accountable for our deeds no you're not actually I mean it's true but it's not true we're also held accountable for thoughts that become deeds do you understand what I'm saying? So like sometimes a thought is, is just passing It's fine, you know, it's, it's left and we, we're not held accountable for that But if I turn the thought into a deed Meaning like I'm working with that thought Now it's not just the thought that was passing I'm sitting on it and I'm engaging it and I'm thinking about it Like someone can't, for example, say someone says Okay, we're not held accountable for our uh, thoughts We're only held accountable for our deeds So then what they do is they sit down and they just think ill of somebody for like five hours <laughs> you know like so and so is this in their head because it's not a deed i'm not going to be accountable for it i'm just not going to use my tongue it's in my head this person's a candidate and this person does this and that and this and that and this is their parents are this and this and this and that. you think it's not a deed it's a deed 
You did something in your head now. So there's a detail on that. But the reason for this is because if we don't watch our thoughts, you know, it's like very common people say that, right? If you don't, if you don't watch your thoughts, then you become your thoughts. Like, whatever it is that you're thinking about, that becomes what you are. So if we're very focused on like, okay, you know, I need to cut this off right now. I'm having a thought pattern right now. It happened to me today. I'll be very honest. There's something that happened earlier today, and I got really frustrated about it. It's, just, it's like a thing that it wouldn't make sense to most people anyways. But it's like a personal, it, it touched something that bothers me about myself in the last 15 years of my life and how it's been spent. Or the last 10 years of my life, more accurately, and how it's been spent. And, uh, you know, it was like, it took me off a little bit. And eventually I was like, wait a second, this is not, like, it's really, I mean, there's no point. Like, we just, we have what's in front of us, and we do what's in front of us, and that's it. Bismillah. And we trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's it. You know, so we have to cut these, these thoughts off. We have to learn to see them and be like, okay, this, I, this thing that's going on in my head right now, I need to cut it off. And this is, by the way, one of the reasons why it's so important to control our speech. Because the speech is a second step. If we can't even control our speech, forget trying to control our thoughts. <laughs> like, you don't have enough time to control your speech. You're not going to have enough time to control what's actually like the, the thing that's passing through our heart or our, our mind. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. He said in the next one, أَعْلَى دَرِجَةٍ مِنْ كِبْرٍ وَشَرِّهَا أَنْ تَرَى نَفْسَكَ وَدُونَهَا وَأَذْنَاهَا فِي الشَّرِّ أَنْ تَخْتُرَ بِبَعْلِكَ This one's really tough. I'll try to go quickly. He says that the worst type of arrogance, the worst level of arrogance, and the most, uh, the highest level of arrogance and the worst of them is to see yourself. It's very much related to what I was just talking about. You know, the worst level of arrogance is to see yourself. So the, the lower level than that is for you to pass through your own mind. <laughs> People will hear this and they don't probably gonna understand it in the right way. Um, I think like, well, I'm not supposed to care about myself. I'm not supposed to take care of myself. I'm not supposed to worry about what's good for me. No, that's not the point. Point is like, we think that we deserve, sometimes we, because we're thinking about ourselves so much, we start thinking about all the things that we deserve and all of the things that should be and all of this kind of stuff. And what he's saying is, you shouldn't, that's not even like, no. You just look at what's in front of you and do what you're supposed to do with Allah and make the right decisions and fulfill your responsibilities and don't worry about all, everything else. Allah's going to take care of everything else. But it becomes very like, Anna, 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 me is this and me is this and me is this and I should have this and I should be this and so on and so forth. And if it makes sense, alhamdulillah, if it doesn't make sense, maybe it will later. He said in the next one, dunya ma dana min al-qalbi wa shagla anillahi. It's an interesting definition of dunya. He said the dunya is what? The dunya ma dana min al-qalbi. The dunya, what is dunya? The word for dunya, it also has the meaning of, of being low, right? But it also has a meaning of being close. Right? Like adnahum is the closest of them to you. So he says that the dunya is that which is close to the heart and distracts from Allah. So it's an interesting definition because sometimes we get into this whole like, oh, I, you know, I can't, someone, it's like, it actually relates to what I said in the beginning about the obligations. Sometimes you meet people, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, how are you? They're like, oh brother, we're just stuck in the dunya. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, I'm just working all the time. Working is not dunya. Like it depends on, 
If your working is all that matters to you and it takes you away from Allah, then it's dunya. So by his definition, right? It takes over the heart and it takes you away from Allah, then it's dunya. But if, if you're working is I'm taking care of my family and I'm gaining halal income and so on and so forth, your dunya is akhirah, then that, that work is akhirah. It's not, it's not dunya, right? So it's a matter of whether or not that thing is taking us away from Allah. If that thing is taking us to Allah, and it's no longer dunya by this definition that he gives, which is an interesting uh, way of looking at it. <coughs> he says on the next one, لا تكونوا عبد الله حقا وأنت لشيء سواه مسترقا. He says you'll never be a true servant of Allah, servant slave of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as long as you are enslaved by something else. You'll never be a true servant of Allah as long as you're enslaved by something else. And this is why the people of Allah in, in our tradition, they often refer to the people of Allah as al-ahrar. They are the truly free people. It's the people who truly like haqqaqu la ilaha illallah. They truly understood and actualized la ilaha illallah. There's no God but Allah. Then in, actually, in, in actualizing that, they became free from everything other than Allah. But as long as you're a slave to something other than Allah, you can never truly be a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fully. So everything has to be put in the right place. You know? People say, oh, you know, you did this or you did that. It's because you're whipped. You know? This is the dumbest thing ever. Because you're whipped, you did this or that. Your, you know, your, your, your wife controls you. She has chains over you, whatever else people say, because you did this or this. No, the only thing that has chains over me is the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If, if being subservient to my wife is going to bring me the pleasure of Allah, biha wa ni'mah. If it's not, biha wa ni'mah. Like, that's all that matters in the end. It's not this whole... People have all their wrong definitions, you know? And there's, a, there's one of them... Um, uh, there was one, subhanAllah, that I read when I was preparing. I don't know where it is. Anyways, point is, like, we have to have the right definitions. Uh, something that I've been thinking about this week with this whole Andrew Tate business, which I don't really care to comment on too much, but uh, in the end of the day, the point is very simple. The point is very simple in the end of the day. And it's the same point that Omar Mukhtar made when his soldiers, right, Sheikh Omar Mukhtar, the Libyan freedom fighter, they were fighting the Italians, and they had some soldiers, right? They, they took some prisoners. And his soldiers, they wanted to uh, torture the, the prisoners. And he, he stopped them. And they told him, well, when they capture us, this is what they do to us. And he said to them, he said to them the most important thing, which is, they are not our teachers. They are not our teachers. The issue in the end is very simple. The issue is, who is your teacher? If your teacher is Rasulullah then everyone else will fall in their appropriate place. And if they fall in a good place, alhamdulillah. And if they fall in a bad place, alhamdulillah. I don't really care actually. All I care about is the Prophet But if, if, if the point is to take guidance from everywhere else, and then just see like, Hopefully, inshallah, I can pick and choose whatever I want from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that, so look at the subhanallah, the twistedness of the nafs. So I can pick and choose whatever I want from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, so that it agrees with my teacher. 
really the person's teacher is whoever else it might be. Today it's one person, tomorrow it's someone else, a year from now it's someone else, 10 years from now it's someone else, whatever. Like if we look at history, there's plenty of examples of these type of figures, right? Good or bad, that's not my point. My point is, where is your marji'iyya? That's the essential question. Where is my marji'iyya? Where is my central authority? Where is my grounding? Is my grounding in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or is it not? If it's not, then, you know, like it's, where are you going to go? If you can't take guidance from Allah and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who are you going to take guidance from? Yeah, they're going to guide us? Yeah, so no one's going to guide us. But if someone, like the most famous person in the world, becomes a Muslim, and they actually get in line with what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught, then alhamdulillah, that's great. But in the end, it's not... They're not the ibrah. You understand what I'm saying? Like the, the issue is not person X or Y or Z. The issue is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Everything else is secondary. And even when we deal with these issues, like a lot of it too, we have, the issue is, what was the guidance of the Prophet Why don't I have anything to say about this? I don't have anything to say about this because everything that I know about it is headlines. This person's headline and that person's headline. This, and I'm not going sit, to sit down and listen to 50 hours of content just so I can figure out how accurately it aligns with the Prophet or not. I don't care that much, to be quite honest. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not a priority for me to, to figure out how much XYZ person aligns with the Prophet you know, And I think that's, that's our issue in the end. And then you talk to young people and they're like, well, the Imams aren't saying this and the Imams aren't saying that. But you don't listen to any of them anyways. Let's be honest. Like, who are you actually? Because people always, they say these things to me. You know, they're like, well, the imams aren't saying this and that. I'm like, I, I, everyone that I listen to says all of the things that you're worried about. So, like, there's some problem here. Maybe you're not listening or, like, maybe you're listening to people you shouldn't be listening to. Or I think most likely you're not listening. You know, everyone chooses. In the end is, who are your teachers? This is the essential question. If, every issue. In everything in life, you know, it comes up also in all types of, it's came up multiple times in the last few days, not only on this issue, but on many other things. So who are your teachers? If you don't have teachers, what do you have? Like, you know, people come to me, they're like this and that, can you help us with this situation, can you help us with that? I can't help you with anything. Like, if, if we don't agree on the same foundations, I can't help you with much. Like, there's some foundations we have to agree upon them, that's why we're teaching all the time. You know, we want, like, this is, this is what remains. This is, this is what will be here. You know, this is what has been here. 1400 years, right? Not every trend that passes in every generation and every, there's not, millions of trends pass. In the 1900s there were issues, the 1800s there were issues, the 1700s there were issues, 1600s there were issues. All the time there's issues. The only thing that remains is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Anyways, we'll stop here I think because uh, if there's any questions people have, uh, I think because the next one is really long, 42 minutes. I don't know, what do you think? Should I do one more or do you want to talk about stuff? Let me do one more, yes. I have a question. Yes. You, you said that uh, well, Nabi
Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some ways you are, but you're not. I mean, you're still talking to Allah, right? So when you say, for example, I mean, it brings up this whole issue of tawassum. You know, it's the issue of tawassum. You know, we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bijahin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for example. And we make dua to Allah by the rank of the Prophet. Or by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Murdan fa'ir sallallahu In the burda, uh, even in the song version that everyone likes, Ya Rabbi bin Mustafa Balid Maqasidana. This is Tawassul. Oh Allah, by, by our Prophet, you know, uh, help us attain our objectives. It's a clumsy translation, but it's, anyways, it's the meaning. Um, you know, the, the majority of scholars allowed this, the majority of the madhabs allowed this. Some of them even considered it, like in the, even the Hanbali school. It's, it's recommended by the Prophet to do this. Imam Ahmad did it. The Prophet um, he even taught it to one of his companions. I can't remember the specifics of the du'a right now. But in the end, we're still calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know? um, and that's, that's what it is. But is, is someone between you? No, but someone's with you. I would look at it more like someone is with you. You know, sometimes to use like a worldly example, sometimes you need to get something done, but you can't get it done by yourself, so you take someone with you. Right? And when you take someone with you, you're able to get that thing done. Right? So when we make dua in this kind of way, we're taking the Prophet them with us in a sense. But we're still going to Allah ourselves. You see? So Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a longer story, but it's there. There's some articles online in detail. I think on Seeker's Guidance, there's a long one. But uh, you know, people argue about this issue a lot. But yeah. Yeah, so the question is if you have this inner voice issue, but sometimes we make istikhara and we feel like the istikhara and there's and then the inner voice comes and it aligns with the question and the istikhara and it feels like an answer, would that be like acceptable kind of thing? <clears throat> you know, I think that one of the things about Islamic spirituality actually is that it's very sober. You know, it's very like you have to gain enough control of the situation to be able to tell when something has changed, okay? And so, uh, in the case of istikhara, that can definitely happen. The biggest issue I see with istikhara sometimes with people is that they really have their mind made up before they do it, right? Istikhara is a dua asking Allah to guide us to what is khair. So the idea with istikhara is that I don't already have my mind made up. You know, I'm, uh, I have to really believe. I don't. We have to really believe what's said. That you know, and I don't know, and you are the one who knows the unseen. Right? It's what we say to Allah in that du'a. So, 
we say that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we really feel like I'm leveling it out. I might have certain things that I deep down I want them, but I'm going to level it out and say, really, Allah, you know. And then we try to, and then it could be, yeah, that's part of istikhada. So asking for our heart to turn in a certain way. So that's, that is what it's, it is. You know? It's not necessarily that you see a dream and all this stuff that people think about all the time. You might see a dream, but it's more an issue of where does the heart lean? And then uh, the path towards that thing, is it facilitated or not? Now those are the two things we're asking in istikhara, right? How does my heart feel? And for it to be facilitated. So, um, and there's, of course, some details on all of that, but that's generally where it is. Yes. Can you say the beginning part again? Yeah, so being vigilant about the thoughts that come in and tempering our desires and how do we deal with that in the face of like loneliness or something, right? And it becomes easy to say these things, but doing them is different. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I have any sort of like very profound insights on that, other than to say what the Mandalorian said, right? The, like this is the way <laughs> there's no uh, you know that's the thing about this stuff is that it really is a strength of constitution that's inside of the person and there's no shortcut and there's no um, and it takes time so if a person is struggling with loneliness for example of course they might take certain steps to find good company and stuff like that but they might still end up being lonely and there's a capacity of, of being able to be alone with Allah that you know, one would hope to develop to a place where they're okay with Allah. You know? But yeah, that's going to be hard for most people. And it's a journey that we have, to, we have to... All of these things that we do, we're really... Like when we make dhikr, when we worship, when we when we do good, when we avoid bad, all of these things that we, we do, really what we're trying to do is strengthen the heart. And when the heart is strengthened and when the, when the heart grows, it can handle a lot of things. It really can. And you know, from our history, we've seen that. From even people in our own lives, we've probably seen that. That people have tremendous certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you look at them and you're like, subhanAllah, nothing can shake this person. Like they're just, you know. That's, that's a capacity that's nurtured and developed over time and some things you know we have like a, a, a 
the risk of using terms that we have a spectrum of um, tendencies in our hearts and some of them will be easier for some people and some of them will be harder for some people and so uh, the ones that are harder for us we have to try to work to develop them and uh, you know, there's no shortcut in that but what I can say is that at least from a, on, a, on a personal level when I was at Kinefsi in any sort of way but like there are certain things you can really feel like when you spent 10 years on them they are different like you still have a lot of work to do but 10 years makes a difference too when we're working on things and we're trying to be better and inshallah we get better we get better we get better and we get stronger we get stronger when we have good teachers and we, we you know, regular in our awrad and our spiritual practices and stuff this will make us inshallah very strong so that we can uh, we can face difficult things and it's it's not hard for Allah like it's hard for us but it's not hard for Allah and so we just have to keep put, keep renewing our trust in Allah and keep trying to develop ourselves and keep trying to be better and inshallah we'll get better and better and stronger and stronger you know? um, Allah those things are real of course Something else that I would felt like I was going to say, but I don't remember now. So, yeah. anyone else have anything before we break from other guests? Yeah, that's a good question. So, when it comes to the definition of a Sahabi. I had said, actually, subhanAllah, when I was saying it, I was thinking to myself, yeah, yeah I can, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like I had said, that they've seen the Prophet ﷺ, but what if the Prophet ﷺ saw them, and what is the extent of the interaction, is a gaze sufficient, and so on and so forth. Um, to be honest, I don't 100% recall the specific definition in hadith, because usually it comes up in hadith sciences. Because in Hadith sciences, if the person is a Sahabi, they take a different rank than someone who's not in terms of their narration, right? So you don't have to analyze the Sahaba in the same way that you would analyze a Tabi'i when it comes to like Ilm al-Rijal, you know, analyzing the Senate and stuff. But, so in, depending on the context of the conversation, you might hear people use the definitions in slightly different ways. Um, and of course, there were companions, for example, that were blind. So if the companion was blind, does that mean, if you say the definition is that they saw the Prophet then if they're blind, then they, they couldn't be a Sahabi, right? So there's issues around this. And, um, but what I recall from uh, in the conversation of Hadith is that it doesn't have to be very long at all. Like essentially, they've seen each other or one side, depending if they're blind or not, type thing. Um, but they might use it differently when, like, again, outside of hadith, maybe you're talking about. Yeah. Are they really, like, are they, someone could be a Sahabi, but they're not a close Sahabi, for example. They're not one of the senior Sahaba, stuff like this. Have you heard anything around this? We, we default to Shaykh Ali. <laughs> you know, that the Sahabi is the one who the Prophet saw them. Yeah. 
belief. So the definition of a Sahabi is one that saw the Prophet or he saw them while they were in a state of Iman. While well, they were in a state of Iman, yeah. So one or the other while they were in a state of Iman. Yeah. But usually in like the realm of spirituality, then the emphasis is more on the Prophet seeing them than them seeing the Prophet. Because, you know, there's this idea that I think we've talked about that before, that like just as there's the evil eye, there's the opposite. So like the best of the opposite would be that the Prophet saw someone. So from in the realm of spirituality, that's usually the, definitely the emphasis is on being seen by the Prophet Okay, anything else we break from Maghrib? Yes? So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There's, of course, there's a Sahaba, but then there's a Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he says, "I wish I would have uh, met my brothers and sisters, my ikhwan, ikhwani." And they said, "Ya Rasulullah, aren't we your brothers and sisters?" And he said, "You're, you are my Sahaba. You are my companions. My brothers and sisters are the ones who will come after you." And they've never seen me, but they would give everything that is in the world just to see me once. Those are my ikhwan. So, you know, may we be from them, inshallah. So he, he specifically mentioned that he wishes that he would have met uh, the likes of all of you. May Allah make us from them, inshallah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to forgive us. We ask you, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, on this blessed night to forgive us and to accept from us and to give us good in this life and the next. Allah, we ask you to give us benefit from what you have given us and to help us to benefit from it in the best way possible. We ask you, Allah, to protect us and our families from all evil and all harm. We ask you, Ya Allah, to protect us and our families from any difficulty and any hardship and to alleviate any difficulty and any hardship. We ask you, Allah, to make us from those who remember you often and remember your Prophet often and live our lives in your remembrance. We ask you, Ya Allah, to help us to calibrate things in the right way. We ask you, Allah, to make the Prophet them our ultimate authority by which we judge everything else and not uh, not to make our nafs the ultimate authority by which we judge everything. Allah, we ask you to forgive us and to guide us and to give us good in this life and the next. Allahumma amin. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah. Wa alaykum wa alaykum. Pray Maghrib, inshallah, after the adhan.